This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> all right, well, welcome to this week's episode of the Cabal cast, guys. Kind of a down week for us, mm-hmm. uh, so we're going to cover some general stuff as well as the big financial announcement, which is the Challenger decks. So what it means for finance, comparison of 2018 to 2019, a little bit of information on that. And then we're actually going to cover something that was brought up in the MTG Finance Central Facebook group, uh, where a user there asked, what's your mode of operation? You know, basically, when you take 50 of a bunch of cards or 100 of one, what makes that choice? So basically going tall versus going wide Mm -hmm. and what each of us individually do by that. And then, of course, we'll have picks at the end. So let's get started. Yeah. So we had the 2019 Challenger decks uh, spoiled last week. And much to everybody's delight, there are some very high-profile reprints in here. And also, much like the 2018 version of the Challenger decks, there are some notable absences and some odd quantity issues. And what we're looking at, and I'll bring it up real quick because this list is, you know, it's all the decks, is basically the Mono White Aggro deck in all its glory from the Pro Tour, short sum of the rares. Like you'll notice, there are only two History of Benalias. We have the Mono Red deck, which is short the rekindling phoenixes otherwise the deck is pretty much the same experimental yeah. frenzy at two uh, feels right for the deck as a whole you don't you know need the four really despite the fact that that was kind of the de facto play pattern for the star city event this past weekend uh, deadly discovery is the golgari deck in some form it's kind of a mishmash of cards between the control deck the explore deck and every other version uh, of note, the J Light Ranger count is two here instead of I think four, usually in the main. Yeah, and uh, they gave you two find finalities to go with that. And no Vivian. No, uh, no Vivian. Just one Vraska Relic Seeker, the Ixalan Planeswalker, Boop. which is cute. Then we I have the the deck that most people have been clamoring for the. Uh, Arcane Tempo deck, which contains one solitary Arclight Phoenix. Uh, and among that, the uh, two Niv-Mizzets and four Crackling Drakes that you can expect in some awkward version of this deck. But this deck is pretty much the premiere of yeah. the four, much like the Vehicles deck was of the 2018 set. Two Chandras. Yes. Although and the Hazarets. Yeah, and the hazards. It's it's very interesting to me the difference between the mythics. Oh yes, uh, I, I think it was Evan Irwin. I think we have that tweet. Yep, I've got it. Uh, where he basically tweeted the comparison between the two, and it was 2018. There were 21.75 rares per and three mythics per deck on average, mm-hmm. and in 2019 it was 9.5 rares per and 1.25 mythics per. Yes, and I understand. And a lot of people raise this point, and they're right. A lot of those decks, you know, especially the mono white one, had a bunch of little commons and uncommons that made the deck tick. Oh yeah, I get that. I understand that's going to be a little bit higher, mm-hmm. but they also 
there's no 4x legions landing in any deck that's rotating soon it would be a great inclusion yes there's again no vivian which she is also rotating soon so why would you not include that <laughs> and there's no vraska's contempts anywhere. anywhere yeah uh and we also have these kind of this weird set of decks where we have two aggressive decks one pseudo tempo combo deck in the way they built it and then the mono red deck which is all uh sorry uh the, the golgari deck which is like i said this kind of mis mishmash deck yeah. um 2018 decks were a lot more clear cut and i've got that list and I'll, I'll put that up on screen now and uh you had hazard agra which is the mono red deck and you had one chandra like you mentioned and one hazard we had the uh, the vehicle deck, the Mardu vehicle deck, which contained the Heart of uh, Kiron, which basically tanked that card. Four? Uh, yeah. Uh, summer, yeah, four Heart of Kiron, which basically tanked that card from like $30. A random mono blue deck that didn't exist in the format at all with Kefnet. Yeah. I'm sorry, not mono blue. Second Sun Control, which was a deck that wasn't played. And yeah. then... Counter Surge, which was the the green black deck, the Winding Constrictor deck, that was so far removed from the format, it was ridiculous, just like the Second Sun deck. But mm -hmm. they had to reach back that far to get four reliable decks. The approach to Sun yeah. deck is kind of uh, a version of the deck that was played much earlier in the format. It had been in various colors, blue white being the base, but that deck hadn't been heard from in like the last pro two Pro Tours prior to those decks being released. Yeah. And you're able to see the disparity here. Like you're, you're seeing high-profile cards. There are gods in th two or three of these lists. Yeah. And a planeswalker in most of them. Here we have uh, no planeswalkers in any of these decks. Oh, we have one Vraska. Woo. Uh, yeah. Among among oh, the boy. list. And we are only seeing maybe one high-profile card, one standard high-profile card in each deck compared to three, four, Play five, sets. depending yeah, on the deck. Yeah. Just not even count, just in terms of, sorry, yeah. not overall it, quantity, it, just count of uniques, right? Yeah. The, the other big miss for me, and this is, I think, the biggest one, mm -hmm. uh, Jeskai existed there, and Jeskai had to ferry, and yes. he's, he's about to rotate. He rotates with M19 and everything else. So like three, four, six months away, whatever it is. At any rate, that card is now at the lowest point it has ever been, and it still sees play in Modern, Legacy, and Vintage. This would be their opportunity to put this card into people's hands, which Dom is just now out of print. So distros have what they have, and that's it. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was the opportunity to get it out there. And at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes up at rotation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, I don't think with it not being in this deck, there's any chance that in a year it's less than $80. Yeah. So they, they ran into a problem in 2018 mm -hmm. where people were basically just buying the Mardu vehicle deck because it was the best value in comparison. It was also the most easily played deck. It was basically the Pro Tour version, I think, minus uh, a couple Uncommons and plus Depala. That card hadn't seen play at a Pro Tour since uh, whatever set it was, Depala was in was released. 
It was very easy to translate over. None of these decks really translate over into standard because they would just blow the doors off <clears> these <throat> things in regards to the financial value contained within. Four copies yeah. of Phoenix immediately makes that deck worth well over $100. But it also tanks the value of Phoenix a lot faster that way. So it's yeah. a double-edged sword. By not giving up the equity to the players to play that card, they gave up a little more equity to the secondary market, which is kind of weird, by keeping uh, the quantity, the population of that card down. Artificially odd. And then, like you said, they, they took a swing at this again, and they did miss a little bit, but not this time by having to reach back into the past for viable decks, but by not actually choosing other decks that were that can be represented in the that format that probably should have been. Yeah. yeah. Do we need three aggro decks or two and a half aggro decks and then one combo deck? No. You know, there were yeah. control decks at the Pro Tour, and you don't have to be Shota to play Grixis Control, or uh, I think it's Shota. Yeah, Shota always plays Grixis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there was... And when they announced what Pro Tour they were going for, I was like, oh, well, that was the Mono Red or Boros Pro Tour. But then I looked at Top 8 and Top 16, I'm like, oh, wait, no. There was, there was Golgari, there yep. was Boros, there was Mono Red, there was Mono White, and there was the Jeskai list that mm -hmm. had... To fairy expansion explosion and was in the sems and when they made that announcement my first thought was oh man this is great we're getting to fairy yeah why not the fairy is going to be in this deck i can hold off on buying any if i need any because oh it's it's an obvious reprint in these decks if they have half a brain yeah and that was my mistake because yet again i assumed watsi had half a brain oh yeah definitely and with that Jeskai deck, it's weird. If you look at Evan's tweet, and we brought it up, like 1.25 Mythics per this year compared to three. If they would have taken the Jeskai deck, that immediately blows that number of Mythics up by at least double. Because you need yeah. Search for Iskanta and you need uh, Tefri in those decks, right? Yeah. And what are you going to do? Put one of each in there, and then you have nothing else left for your deck? It's just a handful of rares that might also work? Like, it just doesn't make sense. They should have upped everything kept it with the 2018 levels and offered more cards in these decks to make standard more viable for people to play in paper. It's not yeah. like they're really gaining any new players for paper standard because of arena and you're not giving people the opportunity to play standard even if it's for a shorter amount of time. And you can look at this as Wasi throwing people a bone and saying, here you go, here's some standard cards, enjoy, have fun. But this is kind of along the lines of what Konami does with Yu-Gi-Oh! And when it comes to tins. Cards come out, they're worth infinite. Konami does not like the fact that any of their cards sell for over $100. There used to be, I think there still are rules on the floor of uh, champs, Yu-Gi-Oh! champs, that you cannot sell a singular card for more than $100, so dealers have to bundle multiple cards together to sell them for more than $100, right? That's yep. how the secondary market works for Yu-Gi-Oh! But in about three months, all those cards are put in a tin x3 because that's a playset and they are worth dirt everybody can buy yep. infinite tins they're worth nothing and if watsi wants to do that with standard these are this is the opportunity but they just keep not taking that shot yeah these cards have they... five to six months to live in standard and then they just time out why not why yeah. not there's every reason to do it and yet again just dropping the ball down yeah. it goes so you know yeah right and with the increased population of these cards, you will see price depression, which is the big question. Like, what happens to Phoenix? Well, it's a 1x, so you need to spend $120, because MSRP on these is 30 
right? Yeah. Which is yeah. basically the price of a Phoenix to buy four of that deck to play the card. And that's kind of equivalent exchange there. You're not paying yeah. less for four Phoenixes, but the population will increase, so it will go down over time. You know, a good chunk mm -hmm. of standard rotates out. Phoenix may not be better. It goes down in price. You see a Faithless Looting ban or something else that's in that deck banned in Modern, then Phoenix drops even before these come out. Watsi can control yeah. the price of that card if they really want to by playing with Modern instead of waiting for PT London. Yeah. But no, I'm, and I'm not asserting Watsi controls any form, the price of cards by toying with the ban restricted list of any format. You can look at Vintage and the fact that Workshop has yet to be done in at all they just keep letting it ride wazi doesn't play with formats like that but if they really cared about the fact that phoenix was just rampant in both of those formats costing an arm and a leg and they want they want to get it out there and make it more accessible then they probably could have taken a harder look at that deck that's all i'm yeah. saying yeah i mean i you know they the interesting thing and i'll touch on this later about that deck is that you've got your You've got your Phoenix, and you also have, what is it, three Sulphur Falls? Uh, I believe so. Uh, you know, the, the most valuable yeah. check land to date. Even after, yeah, even after the reprint. So that's going to be an interesting one mm -hmm. to see what happens there. Because like you said, you buy four of the deck, you get a place out of Phoenix for roughly the same price. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about You've that. You've also got 12, 12 Sulphur Falls now. Yeah. So there's 12 more just out there. Yeah. And, and okay. it's not like... Woodland Cemetery, which was in that modern event deck with Verdant Catacombs, mm -hmm. because that was such a small print run, it didn't really do a whole lot. No. This is going to be out for a while. Yeah. I mean, four, five, six months after these decks came out, they were still in LGSs. They were still at distros. Mm -hmm. They still had that stuff sitting there. Oh, yeah. So there was an ample supply of it, and it wasn't like those decks weren't desirable. I mean, you had Chandras and Hazarets, which... At the time, you know, prior to printing, were 40 50 bucks. Yep, 40 for Chandra, 25 ish for Hazaret. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's I think it's a miss. I think it's a terrible product. I don't think their their set design has been better. I don't think their product design has been. I, but, I agree with yeah. that. I think if like in regards to the challenger decks and what they're doing, I think it's flawless execution, but I think the inside of that product is where you begin to see the cracks. Yeah. Like externally, you say they're we're releasing the four most popular uh, decks from a recent pro tour or our version of them. Cool. But then they give you the stripped down version. You know, yeah. your car is effectively on cinder blocks. Enjoy driving it down the street kind yeah. of ham-fisted way to play this deck. It just doesn't work. Uh, but before we transition away from this, uh, to go along with the three Sulphur Falls, there are also two Niv-Mizzets in that deck. So you're, if you're sitting on that card as a long-term hold, which is what I thought it would be, yeah, duck. Just uh, If you yeah, want if you want to make your profit... Yeah. Yep, if you want to make your profit now as opposed to like three years from now, out, 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 out. Yeah. Because it, it went from a one-year hold to a three- to four-year hold now. Yeah. Which, you know, that's that's the big financial... To me, that is the biggest financial fallout is Sulphur Falls and Niv-Mizzet. Mm. The other cards in there weren't particularly, like, strong outside of standard. Both of those cards have insane EDH demand mm -hmm. and some modern. Exactly. And I think that 
those are going to be the biggest hits here. Yep. They're going to tank hard, especially Sulphur Falls will be two bucks. Yeah. If it's not already. Yeah. So, uh, as we move away from that uh, to a question that was posed on uh, MTG Finance, I want to bring up the actual series of questions for you guys, because it's a topic that we actually thought about, we wanted to bring up, and uh, we, we tossed it out on Patreon before we actually uh, saw this post. But, you know, uh, how do we operate, like we mentioned? How do we rank uh, our specs based on, do we rank our specs based on confidence level? Uh, you know, the financial investment, what justifies our choice for spec as well as quantity? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, anything we can do from there in regards to helping people determine what for them would be a good spec or just in general what is or is not a uh, good spec. And I, I'd like to start this one off because we were originally going to title it Going Tall versus Wide, and that's kind of what my notes are based on. And to me, that's kind of where specking is. It's not uh, pumping and dumping. Uh, same thing as you know, shorting, if you want to think about it that way. I look at it as... Uh, going wide or going tall over time and it takes me uh, a good while to figure out what I want to spec on unless I just see something pop immediately expansion explosion I called on a Saturday morning uh, fairly early on Todd Anderson was in round two of some standard event and I just made a a called shot on that and that card is a great example of something I went tall on it met my handful of criteria for something that I want to go tall on and uh, for me, it's pretty simple. Uh, the cards are obviously powerful, but they're either for EDH or they're sleepers and standard. And then f- to further define a sleeper and standard, it's cards that basically have a similar defe- effect to something that took over a format. It was an all-star card in its format, or the effect was just incredibly powerful, or it's a value machine in EDH. So expansion explosion, everybody was, most people are calling it, I shouldn't say everybody, the Sphinx Sphinx is Rev. Yeah. But as people tested for standard and those videos went public, they didn't really believe in it. I got to watch a weekend one as well as everybody else who decided to just tune into Todd Anderson, that card crush. So for me, it was insane. I went in on it. At the time when I went in on it, the vendor I, I bought from had them for under 25 cents a piece. So I went infinite. I bought a hundred and some odd uh, that weekend because it was just that cheap. I did it with Sunbird's Invocation as well. I bought, yeah. I bought Channel Fireball out. I knew they would reload and I bought yep. them out again. And yep. all for under 25 cents. That is an example of a value machine in EDH, Sunbird Invocation. And those are two cards that I went tall on, very tall on. Then you have something like uh, Bounty of Luxa, Temporal Trespass, and Panharmonicon, which when I moved in on those were all between uh, $1 and $4 each. Uh, Bounty might have been uh, cheaper. And because they were... We went in on Bounty at the same time, and it was around $0.75. And because those were closer to a dollar, I did not just go infinite on those. I probably went between one, uh, sorry, 30 to 40 copies of each. I, I didn't count before the podcast. But for yeah. me, that helps me minimize my risk overall. I should be able to get out in time. Knowing these are longer holds, I should be able to get out somewhere around my investment rate. Uh, but to 
make any more profit than that. Either the card just needs to pick up in popularity incredibly, or it just needs to start spiking something. But I'm fine yeah. sitting on these for a while be uh, with the quantity that I bought in on, because 30 to 40 is easy to move to to a regular vendor that that has you know need for them. I can bring all 30 to a GP and probably move all my bounty of Luxus between two vendors if they were to ever pop. Oh yeah, not for hard, sure. right? Yeah, and they represented. Mm -hmm safe investments for long-term growth compared to the uh, the standard-based specs and expansion explosion uh, and uh, some of the other things I moved in on for standard. Uh, what's her name? She's sitting right here. Linvala. Or not Linvala. Oh, yeah. Lavinia. Lavinia, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Niv-Mizzet, which you guys have heard me talk about, both of them. They uh, represented kind of going infinite waiting for a quick pop and then just outing them not to vendors because i went so tall on them this is going to be facebook this is going to be tcg player and then the remainder will go to vendors on site yeah so uh for me that's that's going tall that's my methodology so for me i'm pretty similar one of the things that i the the main difference between you and i is that I am exclusively what is a good effect for EDH mm -hmm. because, you know, I've, I've said multiple times on this podcast and anyone who knows me, I've said it in person, casuals drive the market. So yep. like when I call, when I picked Sarkin's Unsealing in like episode three or four, I'm still picking them up, mm -hmm. even though the price has gone up from like 40 cents to 90 now, because it's one of those cards that like, this is something that a red player in EDH, they're going to see. And they're going to be like, this card is insane. I need it. Yep. And that's the type of thing that for me, when I go tall, it's almost exclusively a long-term hold. I very rarely pull a short. I did Expansion Explosion because you recommended it. Uh, I mean, there's a few times where, you know, when the Cabal will be like, all right, well, let's do Soul Devi Excavations today. Yep. Great. Let me buy 40 of them. Yep. Uh, but generally, I look for the stuff that's, you know, more of the EDH, the something that Johnny is going to sit there and be like, this card is great. I didn't know it existed when they go through a dollar box. Mm -hmm. And then you check in a year and it's on half a million decks on EDH rec. And you're like, oh, that's why this card is five dollars now. No wonder, like Ancestral Blade or whatever it is, or, you know, there's that uncommon in every commander set mm -hmm. that in a year is ten bucks. That's the type of stuff that I go for personally. Yeah. I try to ignore standard. Uh, I typically, though, my th threshold for infinite is two bucks. Okay. Uh, and that's mostly because of how long I'm fine holding. Yeah. Um, and like my my outs similar to you. It's you know oh great I've got Facebook or whatever like the judge promo counter spells. Yep. Yep, those guys. I've been picking those up for two years now when they were 20 bucks, and then this weekend they popped up to like 110 so I threw them in a couple discords for like 50 to $70 a piece, 200 to 225 a set, and sold every single one. Yeah. Because I'd just been sitting on them, and oh well, now it popped, so I'll get my margin and call it a day. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how I go tall. Um, going wide's a little bit different for me, so I, again... For me, shill baby shill. So I've been going very wide on middle school. Yep. So oh, yeah. for example, we have Gerard's Verdicts, uh, Foil Dismiss, and Phyrexian Furnace, the poor man's uh, Tormod's Crypt for Reanimator Hate. And on that stuff, I usually go about 10 to 20 of them. 
Okay. And it's very much, for me, an art rather than a science. So, like, old promos or something. Like, I picked uh, Lightning Greaves for F&M. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at around 27 of them now. And that's probably where I'm going to stay. And it's one of those things that, like, okay, so what are some things that have been targeted for buyouts in the past? APAC lands, EPAC lands, F&M Sarah Angel, like all these old promos. So yeah. let's grab one of those that has a good effect that is a reasonable target for a buyout. Or my other one, God bless his soul, the Saffron Olive effect. Yeah, oh yeah. So yeah. when Solemnity got spoiled, I even posted in the Discord. I was like, hey guys, Snowgorger, Phyrexian Snowgorger foils, get them now. Oh, that's right, I remember. Never popped. That's fine. That's that's why I only went for like I think it was twelve that I ended up with because the cold snap card, right? Yeah, it's from cold. It's a foil from cold snap. That card's never going to be worth less than what it is now. No, no. So I thought it was fairly safe, but I usually my my riskier specs I tend to go tall on. My safer ones I go wide on. The ones okay. where I'm not as likely to lose money. Yeah. No. Uh... I actually I am very similar when it comes to going wide. That that's yeah. a mentality I share as well. Uh, but I have fallen into a, a trap set for me by Watsy. This is this is a, a good one. Which is mastery. Not that kind of trap. Different one. <laughs> so uh, for me, when I go wide, I don't sit there and I, I, I'm not the kind of guy that reads the spoilers because I'm not I'm not grinding this game like for, yeah. for points. I play for fun. I, I play all foil astral slide uh it looks good i gotta say that yeah i i wait for a little while uh, you know first couple of weeks of standard i let the format settle and see where the cards looked look a little too pushed you know after week two of standard once people have kind of settled into this is the aggro deck this is the control deck this is the mid-range deck or decks there within does anything look a little too pushed does anything look a little too good and paying attention to older format, uh, either forums in the case of Legacy looking for deck techs, uh, rip the MTG Salvation boards for some reason. They're not deck techs, sorry, they're uh, current reports. No, no, the yeah. reports. Those things are like oh, yeah. dead for whatever reason. And then, Those um, are great. oh, they are. If 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 you don't read the MTG Salvation boards at all, you should. The Legacy one is hilarious. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Uh, but the modern and legacy subreddits are also always really active around spoiler time. And you can always kind of get ahead a little bit there. Yeah. So I look for these cards. And anything that looks a little too pushed, I'll move in in low quantities. Uh, 18, uh, sorry, 8 to 16 generally past my normal 4. Unless it's something weird, uh, like Scavenging Ooze, for instance. Where that card was just ridiculous in legacy and was nowhere available nowhere else. Yeah. Then they printed it in standard all of a sudden. So I just went like... I know I got thirty or so. It's really the only. It's one of the only ones that kind of breaks this mold. Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of focus in on those, especially trading, because people are really willing to get rid of those cards. And if I I know they're going to hold value later on, I'll take them. Yeah. Uh, so scavenging is was a big one. I picked up a handful of non-foil M fifteen oozes. Two or three foils because this stuff is hard to move by me locally, and I wasn't really uh, willing to do Facebook stuff yet. And infinite of the DOTP promos because it has different art and it's only available in foil, right? So it makes yeah. it really unique. But then I also went on things like went uh, wide on things like 
Dig Through Time, Death Rite Shaman, Abrupt Decay, Ravel Master. Like, all in a row. It, exactly. This is where I got hoisted by Watsi. And okay. uh, I played Blue Black Control and Standard, so I knew how ridiculous Dig Through Time was. And this is before it hits uh, Modern and Legacy at all. People haven't really put together the Jeskai Ascendancy deck, or is it Delver, in Modern or Legacy. And it has yet to be restricted in Vintage. And for whatever reason, the card's like $1 to $3. So I just gobble them up. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Yeah. And the same thing with Deathrite Shaman. After people here had their fill of Deathrite Shaman and before it was banned in Modern, I was picking those things up for 2 to $3. Just cash all the time. Easy, 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 right? And then same thing with Abrupt Decays. People yep. got their fill up here and then easy I just started money. buying them out at, at a, a low, low entry price and just moving them, moving them, moving them and Rabble Master. That one took a lot longer. But I was like, this card's good. It's a four drop. It's great in Legacy where it'll just sit there and be in the... I assumed it was actually going to be in the... Uh, what do they call it? Not Shortcake. Just the, the regular mono red uh, Painter Servant Grindstone deck. Yeah. Shortcake's the red white one. Yeah. Like, this goes in the sideboard. You want to transform into Mono Red Prison. You got it. And then I was like, oh, maybe Muddle Update and it'll go somewhere else. So I've got a couple of those kicking around. And these are the cards that I just looked way too push for standard. When you played them, they were just kind of game over spells, aside from Abrupt Decay. That was just... You read that card and you're like, why? You were just too good, man. Too good. Yeah. These are cards that just ran standard, and it was obvious they were going to from the first like month they existed. Oh, for sure. So instead of going really tall on one and exposing myself to cards getting banned, I went wide across. Uh, <laughs> Deathbite was fine. Yeah. I, look, he. to be fair, Bloodbright Elf died for Deathrite Shaman's sins. It did. <laughs> it did. Nakadal died for somebody else's sins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Figure that one out. And so I was I focused on, you know, DRS and Abrupt Decay from Return to Rev, and I went up wide on those as I was picking up my first set of Shocklands because I didn't play originally. And yep. then we moved into Theros block, and that set was crap, but I was picking up the gods. I, I picked up infinite gods for that entire block, not really going tall on them until they rotated, and then they just got wicked cheap. Then KTK yep. comes out, and I went uh, across the board on most of the Delve spells and the fetches because they are... Yeah, the fetches were super liquid and they were super cheap for the first couple months. So I just went wide across all of that. Yeah. And not going... Aside from... I think fetches might have been the only thing I went way tall on. Yeah. Because... Well, it's similar to right now. I think we're similar to KTK. We've got Shocklands right now. Yeah. I, I am going wide and tall on Shocklands and I highly suggest anyone watching this, listening, whatever, does the same. Yes. They're way too cheap. They will always be worth at least $5 a piece. And they're the most liquid cards in the game next to Fetchlands. Yep. And short of the price point, everything that you just said is why I went in on uh, Fetchlands immediately. It was yeah. convenient when I was judging pre-releases. And uh, my now wife, then girlfriend, was able to just kind of wheel and deal. I told her, like, the KTK pre-releases we went to, I was like, don't, no, no fetches. Don't pick anything up. And then two weeks later, in an F&M... I make a deal with some guy, I walk out, and I walk out, and I just hand the man a bunch of money, and I take infinite Fetchlands, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry, they dropped, we're good. I just yeah, walk away with like 30 Fetchlands, I'm like, deal, we're in. And that was yeah. it. From there, just everything went up, I sat on them forever, trading them out here and there. 
and those are the kind of things it becomes really evident when the within the first month or so what cards you can go wide on because you're going to cast a, a net that exposes you to very uh, little risk yeah. you should be able to trade these cards out at your entry price in a couple of months if you have to or your couple of weeks if you have to they represent fairly safe holds for the most part yeah um, you know unless you get got by Watsy. terrible but, smuggler's copter come yeah. on that card was great uh that is actually a card I went tall on. Same. Uh, Copter and Ferocidon. Actually, yeah. I didn't go tall on Ferocidon until after the ban, and I'm still, I still think it's a great pickup right now. I, it is, too. Uh, you don't have a lot of can't gain permanent base can't gain life effects in modern for the, for the burn deck, and uh, it is one. Yeah. It, I mean, until we get Pyrostatic Pillar and Price of Progress and all those other ridiculous cards people are sure are going to be in Modern Horizons. I've already posted it in Sick Deals, but I'll say it here too. You can watch it here on the podcast. Sub on YouTube. It'll happen. If Force of Will is printed in Modern Horizons, I will eat the original sketch for Mountain Goat and this albino Mountain Goat on camera. I don't want to say we're rooting for it, but we we have a little skin in the game now. Yeah, right. (laughs) My hot take on red cards coming back is Chain Lightning, but that's neither, neither here nor there. I think it's yeah. a fine card, because if I want to chain lightning you, you're most likely going to be able to chain my ass back. So it's a fair and balanced magic yeah. card. Yeah. It's it's modern. Everybody plays with it. Yeah. But uh, that that's me going wide. And like I said, I generally, when I want to go wide, I take those couple of weeks and I look at what's happening in standard. And it's that is very overt, because you have the Star City tour that now starts on release weekend with standard. Yep. So you have a day zero format, which is mainly going to be aggressive. Then you get, a, like I said, about two weeks from there, and you have the format shakes out a little bit. And you can begin to see what's going to take over, what the format will solidify in, and where you want to go in regards to going wide and catching the largest net. And this is great for just kind of a nice smooth uh, income stream in regards yeah. to standard cards over the next couple of months if you just go... Uh, wide and a quantity that works for you like i said i'm usually 8 to 16 maybe 20 past my first my personal playset and then you can just roll it It, it's it works really well for trading too those cards are always Mm going to be in high demand right so you can always pick up more stuff and roll it roll it roll it yeah and i it comes down to a lot of times knowing yourself your position and your outs and yep. it's it's going to be the same every time, you know. Uh, Thirsty and I have different outs, you know, yep. and we will forever. One of the things that I can't really do here because our my player base is kind of uh, dwindling, and a lot of my events are switching over to be sealed, is move those cards like I used to. Yeah. So I can I can surely trade for stuff that I can out later on, but I'm not going to be outing it to other players in my area. It's going to involve travel or it's going to involve shipping. And those are both associated costs now with that card. Yeah. So I have to keep Very that true. in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but unless, unless you have anything else you want to add to the wide section, I think we're good to move on to picks. But nope, I, I think we can move along to the picks. I do want to uh, bring one thing up from Cincy, uh, <clears throat> something you mentioned while you were on site. Uh, old border foils? Yes. They were... so. As I was going around vendors, because of course I was trying to pick up as many middle school foils as possible because shill baby shill, I noticed that one, they didn't really exist. 
uh, I think I got, there was a playset of foil seven sleight of hands that stayed throughout the entire weekend. Mm -hmm. Other than that, most of the old border foils that were there, it was two factor fictions, three ops and a standstill, as well as two dazes. That was it for the whole floor. I picked them up. Mm -hmm. Also, nobody was selling. I went to, part of it could be prices, so I went to four different vendors with a foil 7th Underground River. I got offers from 15 to $55, and TCG Low right now is like $150. Jeez. <clears throat> so it's, it's an interesting time because if you are someone who, like me, wants to be involved in middle school and you want to pimp your decks or mm-hmm. have pimp for people that do, now's probably the time to get in because you don't have to put a whole lot of money into it because vendors are so unsure on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, even Card Kingdom's buy list on some of these, which I watch religiously, has not moved in two months. No. Even though they've been out and so has TCG. So there's a prime opportunity there for anyone looking to move in on that format. And I I think regardless of whether you're into foils or not, if you're thinking about moving to that format... The player-to-player interaction is going to cost you a little more awkwardly for once than the player-to-vendor interaction. Yeah. So you know, keep that in mind as, as you're perusing around. Yeah, for sure. All right, set into picks, and I want you All to right. go first. All right, so I touched on it a little bit earlier when I was mentioning the Challenger decks. I don't think you picked them up yet. I think you pick them up in about a month and a half to two month Sulphur Falls. Mm-hmm. Quantity is going to explode. It's one of the most popular color combinations in EDH. It's a card that sees play in some decks in Modern, and it's, a, I guess, a budget replacement, so to speak. But it's a card that is insanely liquid. Mm-hmm. I have an easier time personally trading Sulphur Falls than any of the other check lands. I, everyone loves Is It. Everyone loves Dual Lands. EDH players love this card because it's cheap and it produces two colors. It's the type of thing that if there is one person in your city that has the like 54 stack or whatever it is, the all the color combination commanders, they'll want it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also the type of thing that fills out trades nicely. If you're a little bit off on a trade, yeah. anyone who knows what they're doing will always Take pick it. up a land like Sulphur Falls or a Shock Land because those cards trade out. They're insanely liquid. So once this card hits, you know, sub $2, I think it's a perfect time to go tall and try to get, you know, 30 to 40 of them and try to, you know, you can just gradually out them, only put about four to six in your binder at every time. Uh, Or if you post a sale post, pro tip, if you buy out a card... Only post four in your sale post on Facebook and say you have a playset because nobody knows when that playset sells. You just leave the thread up. Yeah, it's fine. It's a Swiss auction style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's an incredibly good pickup in about a month and a half when these things drop because it's so liquid. It will be so cheap, mm-hmm. and it's a card that will go up because very quickly. I know that price memory is a thing, but very quickly you're starting to see blue-red become the expensive land combination mm-hmm. over blue-black. Yeah. Whereas traditionally blue-back was always the most expensive land because those were the two best colors. That started to shift now where you have higher demand for your is it rather than your demir. Yep, I, I agree. Uh, and for people who are keen-eyed and noticed that uh, earlier in the podcast history we have Sulphur Falls listed, 
Uh, it is not the same kind of issue that we had with Mox Opal. That pick was actually all of the check lands for yes. Dominaria. I just couldn't, I didn't feel like putting five picks for one person. So I just yeah. chose Sulphur, Sulphur Falls because at the time it was the cheapest of those lands that wasn't. Uh, Sun Petal? No, no. Uh, you're thinking of the wrong cycle, the Clifftop oh, Retreat. Right. Yeah, Clifftop. Yeah. Like, we thought that was just going to bust because we had no idea it was coming from Rev. So instead of making it that one, I made it Sulphur Falls because people play that color combination in modern. Yep. So, uh, so I'll take over now. My card yep. for this week is uh, unsurprising if you're in the Patreon. It is Chancellor of the Tangle. So I mentioned this card last week when we were talking about the London Mulligan and the power level of this card for modern is probably where it needs to be to make this a three to five dollar card once people start experimenting a little more with Gorio's Vengeance and Goblin Charbelcher. While this card is not nearly as good as a Spirit Guide, Elvish or Simeon, the fact that this still allows you to turn one combo off uh, cannot be overlooked. Uh, I also think that the Chancellor effect with the London Mulligan rule uh, overall just gets a huge boon because of it. And uh, we might see Annex rise, but that's for another day. Yeah. When I initially began looking at this card and kind of throwing the idea around, what I noticed was that the market price on this is about 40 cents, or was about 40 cents individually. Card Kingdom is buying it for 20. Like you can see here. Yeah. I'll bring it up. Card Kingdom buy price, 20 cents. The foil price, however, I was able to buy them for cheaper than Card Kingdom is buying them. So there was immediate arbitrage opportunity, which generally to me means that this card is seeing demand behind the scenes, but TCG is just currently flooded. Yep. So it's very hard to keep an eye on the market. Yeah. So moving in on non-foils or foils uh, is, is up to you. If this card does pop because of the uh, London Mulligan, like I think it will, I think it resurrects the Gorio's Vengeance deck because you can now combo off a, a turn earlier more reliably. Yeah. And it also enables Goblin Charbelcher a lot better with, than it did before. Then you, like I said, you'll see three to five dollar copies of this normally, and the foil will probably be fifth, anywhere from maybe fifteen to twenty, ten at the low end if it yeah. winds up that this deck is solidly tier. Either one of these is solidly tier two, or people start playing Rest in Peace. One or the other. Yeah, I mean the the other thing I think you could see happen is you know like if the London Mulligan sticks, it's the type of thing that you could have C play in Legacy all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Because it does enable those degenerate decks to go the extra mile. Yeah, They can now do these things that they couldn't before, where it's like, all right, well, I this card was garbage before, but now with this mulligan, it's another, you know, versions four through eight of some other card in the deck. Yes. And I think that's the type of thing that, you know, for better or worse... If this mulligan sticks, and I, I hate to say it, but you know, Watsy gonna Watsy, it probably will. Uh, 
it's it's going to have a huge impact and i can see something like this taking over then and not just modern which yep. is the obvious place for it so it's definitely something that i think is worth keeping an eye on yeah uh, i think chancellor of the two chancellors that will do anything because of this tangle i believe has the uh, higher higher ceiling compared to yeah. annex in regards to growth overall uh, annex will obviously cost more but it already costs more so you'll so your percentage is concerned the higher ceiling i believe is with tangle yeah but pre-game effects are going to be at a premium after the London Mulligan rule moves into yep. effect. So, if you like I said, if you like the Chancellor pick, but you don't like to angle, Annex is the way to go. If you don't like either of those, then you can look into any other pre-game effects like we've talked about. You know, we've talked Blue about ley line. lines. We've talked, yeah, Blue ley line, Black ley line, White, white ley line uh, from Corset, or yep. uh, something like Serum Powder, which has seen, I think, one or two printings, but is currently... S in limbo in regards to price yeah uh, just because it's really weird with how you mulligan but yeah it's been it's been an interesting seeing how that plays out and i know we'll get a little bit more detail after mm -hmm. the pro tour i'm going to call it that forever deal with it uh and it i think it's for once it's a rule change that doesn't affect power level that it has very real implications for the financial side of the game. Yeah. And that's real weird to me. <laughs> but I'm here for it. Fair enough. So, you know. We'll, we all are. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Right. But. Yeah, so, that uh, does it for us this week. You mm -hmm. can, of course, find me at Thirsty Sizzler. I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You can find us where? At MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, YouTube, your podcast channel channels as well as patreon and please do not forget to sub there we still have our giveaway for a box of uma going on uh, once we reach 100 patrons and it is as cheap as literally a dollar a month one lucky subscriber will get a box of uma yep. and this is not the only promotion that we will be running through patreon uh, we plan to do this with uh, many more sealed products modern horizons so, yeah <laughs> War of the Spork. Because yeah, that's what spork. people care about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We will catch you next week. See you guys.